currently reading a book that is challenging me on many fronts. Why don't you take a look at the book that I am currently reading, Those Who Wonder, America's Lost Street Kids. It tells the story of three homeless youth in San Francisco about four years ago that murdered two people randomly. And that story then opens up into a larger story about youth homelessness across the country. And so when you open in, when you step into the book and read such a horrific story, you begin to see as the journalist who wrote the book that it only stands in for a larger story of this problem that plagues so many of our cities and rural areas across the country. Got me to thinking about the other things in life that start as small stories but really stand in as larger stories. Or maybe they take on more significance as you get the larger piece of the story. For example, if we do something a little more lighthearted than random murders in San Francisco, take a touchdown, uh, just a football touchdown at the end of the game, may not seem like much of a story. It might get some, some press, maybe someone blogs about it, throws it up on Instagram. But what happens when it's the winning catch in the playoffs to win the championship? Now that becomes part of a much larger story. Maybe you've seen some of those photos, right? You see this, a photo of maybe a mom or a parent comforting a child. Maybe a tender-hearted moment seen, captured on film or in a picture. But when you zoom out on the picture and it is part of a war-torn area, that moment, that tender-hearted moment takes on new significance because that story is part of a larger story. Again, I'm just trying to think through all the ways that small stories get wrapped up and take on significance as part of a larger story. This book started me down that journey, that way of thinking, because it's never, it wasn't a story I thought I was stepping into until I got there. Then we walk into the next section of the Gospel of Mark. This is a fast-moving story of Jesus, an account of Jesus the Messiah on earth. And the section we step into today is one of those moments where we see a story that may appear insignificant on the surface, but actually is part of a much larger story. So we're going to take a look at the story and then place it inside the larger story. And I think it will have application for your life today. Take a look. Mark chapter 5, it's where we pick up in the story. Jesus has just calmed the storm, the raging storm on the Sea of Galilee. He's now come to the shore after being on the sea. We pick up with the story there. Chapter 5, verse 1, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. 
When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to them, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Nearby hillside, the demon begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out, went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off, and they reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell, tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, on the surface, this looks like another exorcism, just another exorcism along the way in the ministry of Jesus. That is, this is a moment where Jesus has removed another demon from another person, and we come to the end of the story finding they are healed. This seems to be just an ordinary story on the surface. For example... We started the Gospel of Mark in a fast-moving series of healings. And we come to, came to the end of that series of he, healings, and we read this summary statement. Mark 1, 39, we read this. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. It appears to be something that Jesus continued to do over and over again. Nothing really out of the ordinary, at least for Jesus. We even read of an account just before this that was a little more detailed. For example, we just go a few verses back in that chapter, and we read this account. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And there ends the story. That's the exorcism. That demon gone. Man healed. We move on with the life of Jesus. And so it would seem when we walk into Mark chapter 5 and we hit this small story, this story of a man possessed by a demon, that we're just coming into another account of a man possessed by a demon. And we get to the end, just like all the other stories end, he's been healed. Yet, this story has a lot more going on in Mark chapter 5 than any other account up to this point in the Gospel of Mark. This is something we need to notice by taking a look at several details that Mark gives us in the story. Details we're not getting anywhere else in any other account of a person possessed by a demon. So we're just going to walk through five details we see in the story to get us to a place where we notice this is no ordinary exorcism. So, for example, first point, the possessed man has superna had supernatural strength. The possessed man had supernatural strength. 
This is something we don't read about in any other account of a person possessed by a demon. Now, we know that sometimes demons would, would cause people to shake on the ground. They would cause people to have certain erratic behavior. But in this case, no one could bind him. Iron shackles couldn't bind him. Chains couldn't bind him. Something was going on that gave this guy supernatural strength. I want you to think Marvel characters. I want you to think DC Comics. I want you to start thinking about a person with supernatural strength. That's what we have here. We have here someone who was repeatedly, it was attempted to repeatedly bind him and they couldn't. So right from the get-go, as we enter the story, we know this is no ordinary demon-possessed person. So take a look, second point here. The man lived in the shadow of death among the graves. This is no small point. As we move through this part of the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see death appearing in different forms. And here we have a man living among the tombs. Now, you may think it's ordinary to live at the grave, in a graveyard. But for most of human history and most normal people, you don't live in a graveyard. And Mark is here highlighting how dire the situation is. This man lives in the shadow of death. He lives among impure spirits. He lives surrounded by dead things. And so as we enter the story, as Mark pulls us into the narrative, this scene, we need to be thinking that we're walking into the valley of the shadow of death. It is no small thing this man is living among the graves. Third thing we want to notice is the demon was stronger than anything we have seen so far. Now, that's not just because the man couldn't be bound by shackles or chains. It's because Jesus was having a hard time getting the demon out. Now, in the other accounts, he speaks, it happens. But here, if we understand what's going on with the original language, Mark actually uses a phrase that says it's ongoing action. The English Standard Version translates verse 8 this way. He was saying. That is, Jesus was continually attempting. He was saying over and over again, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And although Jesus kept saying it, it wasn't happening. Now, usually I think about Jesus zapping demons, like he speaks, it happens, all done, real quick. But here, Jesus has to repeat his command over and over. This is a formidable force he is facing. And so we, that should not be lost on us that it's taking quite a while for Jesus to get the demon out of the man. The fourth thing I want us to notice, fourth detail, the situation is a thousand times worse than expected. So when Jesus gets to a point where he asks the name of the demon, he says legion. This isn't an actual singular demon. This is referring to a military unit. So a legion, a Roman legion, a, a legion was a military unit in the Roman army, and it could go anywhere from four to 6,000 uh, soldiers. And so here, when the demon gives his name as legion, this could be anywhere from four to 6,000 demons inside this man. This is unheard of at this point. We have not read an account where this many demons are lodged inside of a person. 
Now, at one point in another passage of Scripture, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus actually explains how demon possession can get worse. This is what he says. Luke chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Jesus here uses seven. This is a, a symbolic number. But I want us to understand that if you get four to 6,000 demons inside of you, you've gotten to a really bad place. If seven makes you, if seven takes you to a place that is much worse, four to 6,000 takes you to a place unheard of and unexplained up to this point in the life of Jesus. So when we come into the story, we walk with Jesus among the graves encountering this man, we need to understand this is no normal exorcism. There's a lot more going on. This man is in a very, very bad condition, an evil condition. And we're not exactly sure how he got there. We just know that this is where he has ended up. Fifth thing, fifth detail, is that Jesus removes the demons but doesn't destroy them. It's very important for us to understand. This helps us understand why in the world are a bunch of pigs dying uh, on this day. We don't exactly understand the, the details or the exact nature of a demon. That is, no one has ever scientifically studied a demon. And the scriptures do not give us a full account of the nature of the demons that exist or we see written about in the scriptures. Now, we get, we get these moments where we see things happening in the spiritual world, but we have no clear, clear description of what a demon is and how all that works within the spiritual realm. We can make a lot of great guesses and probably good enough guesses to teach on it. But, but what we do know, something we do know, is that demons at this point in the life of Jesus are not being destroyed. They're being removed. And so these demons got to go somewhere. That is, if Jesus is to remove them, something about the kingdom of darkness will not allow Jesus to destroy them, but only move them or relocate them to a different place. Now, I don't understand how all that works, and the scriptures do not give us a clear reason for this. We just know that they go somewhere, and they, they live on past the removal or the exorcism. And so Jesus here faces four to 6,000 demons in a person, and they need to go somewhere. And Jesus, I think, lovingly sends them into these pigs. Now, we could say Jesus knows that these pigs will all be destroyed, and so this is a heartless act. This is, you know, animal cruelty. I don't know exactly, I don't know that Jesus knew all that would happen in that moment when removing the demons. What we know is that Jesus had a choice to remove them and place them somewhere else. And he chose to put them in the pigs, give permission for that to happen. And then they run down this embankment and the pigs drown. What the Bible doesn't say at this point is what happens to the demons. 
Nowhere does it tell us in the Gospels that a demon has been destroyed, only removed. And so what we can gather, taking all the evidence into play, is that the demons are still alive and well, but they now are moving out, going back and forth, looking for somewhere else to now rest. But they are not gone. Now what that does for the reader, and I think for the disciples on that day, is it leaves, the, it leaves the story and it leaves the scene unresolved. Now, I get it. Jesus is powerful. He's king. He's just calmed the storm. That's something only God does. But what do you do when a pack of a legion, a pack of demons, is removed and it doesn't seem like they've been taken care of? I'm left wondering... How's Jesus going to take care of the rest of the demons? How's he going to destroy evil? How's he going to take care of things? And how in the world is this kingdom of God going to come into play with all this evil running around? We are left at a place where we have no resolution. Add on top of that, the town, the people from the town, don't like Jesus and just kicked him out. And we're supposed to believe that he's bringing the kingdom of God into the world I don't know exactly how all this will get taken care of. And I think the disciples on that day, though seeing the power of Jesus, challenging the kingdom of darkness, are left unresolved. And I think we sit there too when we really think about how the story ends. Uh, One man's healed, a bunch of demons are now free, and the townspeople don't like Jesus and have kicked him out. This is where this smaller story This story of a demon-possessed man finds its significance in a larger story. And this is what Mark is pointing us to. This is what we need to see. This is not just a story about a demon-possessed man. It's a story about what God's doing on a much bigger stage. This is how I want to say this. The story finds its resolution in the larger story between light and darkness that culminated on the cross where Jesus took the sins of the world and evil did its worst. But Jesus won and rose from the grave. This story ultimately will find resolution on the cross and in the resurrection. That's where this story finds its happy ending. And in the end, it will find its fulfillment at the end of time when darkness is ultimately removed from our world. But this story cannot sit all by itself without the cross. We won't see its significance. The disciples had no clue about anything I just said. They had no idea that this story was pointing to a larger story. They couldn't see it. They actually couldn't understand any of this until after the resurrection. They were blind all the way up until that point. But after the resurrection, those followers of Jesus finally start putting puzzle pieces together. And they begin to understand so much of what was going on when Jesus went to the cross and when he rose from the grave. They began to see that in the life of Jesus, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness were in a clash and it finally culminated at the cross. And they began to tell that story in the rest of the New Testament. Let me just take a couple passages. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Colossians chapter 2, second part of verse 13, verse through 15. Then God made you alive with Christ 
For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I don't know exactly what happened to the demons after the pigs drowned. But I know that on the cross, their power was destroyed. And so that story finds its significance in that larger story where Jesus triumphed over them on the cross. I'm not saying your sins don't matter, but your sins were tied up into a larger story of the kingdom of darkness. And on the cross, Jesus did something about it. And he took on the kingdom of darkness on the cross. Now, the Hebrew writer says it as well. There are several others. We're just taking two. Hebrews 2.14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. On the cross, the kingdom of darkness received its death blow. That's where... Mark chapter 5 points us to, is to that victory. And so I want us to understand that as Mark, the writer, pens the account in so much detail, in Mark chapter 5, he does it to point us to where Jesus is going. What we will find as we continue to move through the gospel is that the accounts are going to continue to move us in this direction. They're going to continue to push us to the cross, which was the culmination of this battle between light and dark. And then Jesus rose and beat them. Now, this all has application for us. Like, this all has something to do with your life today. Here's how we'll say it. The application for us is that the larger story of God's victory over darkness can be our story. And for many of us, I'd say most of us, that story, that larger story of God's victory, that's your story. Like, that is your story. It's not just it can be, it is your story. And when the Apostle Paul wrote to these early Christians, he tried to pull them and get them to see that's their story. That that story of the clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness where God won the day, that's their story. Look at how Paul said it, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. We love this passage because it says you're saved by grace, but I want you to see those first few verses and how Paul describes your life before your salvation. Verse 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the Spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he, so loved, us, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. We love verse 4 and 5, but do not forget you were caught up 
in the kingdom of the air, obeying your tendencies, your inclination, your bent to disobedience. God's grace saved you from the kingdom of darkness. That's what Paul wants them to see about their story. He says it so well here. I'm really just plagiarizing all the way up to this point. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. He says this to these early Christians. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That can be or is your story if you have put your confidence in Jesus. The story of Mark 5, of this demon-possessed man, is my story. Jesus chose that man. Jesus chose me. Jesus healed that man from indescribable evil. Jesus saved me from my indescribable evil. And now that man had to live out that new life. And I have to live out my new life, free, in a new kingdom, a kingdom of light. That's where the challenge is in all this. Listen, I love Ephesians chapter 2. I really dig, I'm digging Colossians chapter 1. The problem is I picked up a lot of habits in the kingdom of darkness. I don't think that man in Mark chapter 5 all of a sudden stopped struggling with all the habits he picked up while possessed. I think he had to learn to live a new way, pick up new habits. And I can tell you in my own life, and I imagine you too, yes, we're saved by grace, but there's now a road of sanctification that is becoming like Jesus that we got to walk. And we just so happen to pick up a lot of habits in the kingdom of darkness. It doesn't take me much to lust. I can do that pretty easy. I pick that habit up while living in the kingdom of darkness. Greed comes pretty easy to me. I don't mind a good gossip and I don't mind a good slander. I don't mind thinking pretty well of myself. These are all things I picked up in the kingdom of darkness. And they became a part of me. So now as I live in the kingdom of light, i got to learn how to, how to do new things. I learn how to live new habits. And this is not a new problem for Christians. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, two chapters after telling them that God had transferred them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that they had, had the experience of that Mark 5 man, he then took them to a place where he reminded them they had to live a different way. Check out how, what he says, chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, 5, 12, and 14. Just put these together. He tells them, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Those are all those things that you had in, your, in the kingdom of darkness. You put these to death, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then he goes on to instruct them what to pick up. So you take off, and now once you pick up this... Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. I love declaring that I have been saved by grace. I would rather stay there. 
But to live inside of the kingdom of light, I have to pick up a whole new set of habits, a whole new set of virtues. That's how you and I walk into the new life we have been given. So let's take that to a next step. Like, let's do something with that. Like, something you could do today. I'm going to suggest that you write Colossians 3.12 on a sticky note or something that you can see, okay? Something you can read. You could even print it out. So this is what that might look like. This could be like a big sticky note, okay? So write it on a sticky note. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So write that down, print that out, somehow put that in front of you. Then look at that list of virtues and circle one of them. So I know one that I need to work on. I'm just going to circle it right there. If you don't have good eyesight, sorry, you don't need to know what I'm working on. And I'm going to put that somewhere where I can see it. I understand that you can be a superstar and get all five virtues in a week, but I'm not there, so I'm just going to pick one. And every time you see the verse, let that one stand out. It'll have a way of popping up at just the right moment. It will. Like if you're not patient or you need to work on that virtue, trust me, you circle that bad boy with a red marker, any color but red, don't mind red. It'll come up. It'll come up when your spouse annoys you later in the week and you need to be patient. That'll happen. That red circle will pop right up when it needs to. Or maybe you need compassion. Uh, just circle compassion. And next time you want to rip your kid's head off, it'll pop up for you. It'll pop up. The point here is that you and I have, many of us at least, have the story of the Mark 5 man. But that man had to keep living in his freedom. And we too have been transferred from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But we too have to now live in that kingdom. Pick up all the virtues of citizens of a new world. And that requires intentionality. Sanctification doesn't come by accident. And so this is just one next step you and I can do. And then just put this somewhere where you can see it every day. Put it on your mirror in the bathroom. Put it on the oven. Put it somewhere. I don't know. Put it on your TV. Put it somewhere where you will see it. And let God do work that he only can do inside of you as you move intentionally further into his kingdom, looking more and more like Jesus. Now, just a side note. I believe Satan and his demons are still at work in our world. I do not think they hold the power they once had. I don't think that they can possess Christians. But I do believe they can wreck and do havoc in a Christian's life. And I do not think that Satan is done doing his worst on Christian lives. And I'm just going to tell you, if you are facing the, heart, the, the largest, the biggest odds in your life, sometimes you may pray against the evil one. Sometimes you may pray in the authority of Jesus to be released from ev any evil force or power that has come against you. I have no idea if cancer comes by the evil one. 
Just recently, my cousin, 23 years old, was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. I watched her, I watched her grow up. I have no idea why this young woman has stage 4 cancer. I have no idea. And I have no idea what right formula I'm supposed to pray for her. Now, I know you're the preacher. You're supposed to have all the answers. No, they don't train you what formula you're supposed to pray over a 23-year-old with stage 4 cancer in Bible college. That's not in the curriculum, and I can't find it in the Bible. And so I have a gauntlet of prayers I pray for her. And one of them is that if there is any evil that has come against her, in the name of Jesus, be released. I don't know exactly how that prayer works in the spiritual realm. But I know it's worth a shot because the devil and his forces are still at work. So my small piece of advice is don't turn every problem into a demon possession. But do take seriously the power of Satan in our world and in your life. So be careful what you mess with. And be careful how you pray, and sometimes you may take seriously the fact that some trouble comes because the evil one is still working. Now, you take, with there, take that however you, however you need to take it. I just know we need to recognize that. But when it comes to something we can all apply, you take that at Colossians 3.12 and you get it in front of your eyes, you put that circle around a virtue, and you continue to move deeper into the kingdom. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your mercy transferring us from the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I pray that you would continue to make us more and more like your son, Jesus. And as your people, we pray that if there has been any evil, that has come against anyone in this room, that they would be released by the power of Jesus. If there is a sickness, a divorce, if there is bitterness and unforgiveness, if there is abuse, and it is the work of Satan and his demons, release them in the name of Jesus. May they would be rebuked by his power. I pray you make us more and more holy and that our lives take on the form of the kingdom of God. And it gets right down into our habits. That we become a different kind of people. Thank you for the story. Thank you for the authorship that Mark provided in telling it. And may it make a difference how we live the rest of today. All under his power, Jesus the Christ. Amen.